So hello and welcome to another episode of Tolkien with Friends. Today we're very excited to welcome our friend Amber, who you probably know as Critique Geek on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you for joining us today, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, we've been so excited. And also like it we love it when we have like our like no offense to the, the boys that we have on our <laughs> podcast sometimes, but like I love it when it's just a bunch of ladies in the room talking about Tolkien because I feel like it doesn't happen enough. There's always like a dude, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I love it when we have all lady episodes. It's just it's just fun for us. I agree. It's a very uh, male-dominated fandom still, and I feel like there's often times where ladies and femme folks in the fandom get spoken over. So to have an all-lady podcast, that's great. Yeah, 100% agree. Mm -hmm. So now sometimes when folks join us for the first time, I ask them like how they were introduced to Tolkien. Um, But I think now, since we're pretty close to the release of Rings of Power, um, I would like to ask you, you know, because we know you're a hardcore Tolkien nerd. We know like you've had TikToks talking about how you're, favorite is the Silmarillion is that right yeah (laughs) yep so I mean that's pretty nerdy so uh so let's just (laughs) so let's talk about like what we're most looking forward to in this show you know based on the trailers and like the things that we've seen so far from the cast and the showrunners yeah you know I feel like I like a lot of people when they first announced it I was hesitant right you know, we're all so fond of the books. And then the Peter Jackson trilogy, we don't talk about The Hobbit. Um, The Peter Jackson trilogy was, you know, a really great adaptation. So at first I was like, "Mm, do we need this? Particularly because, you know, the state's not allowing anyone to adapt the Silmarillion at this time. Mm -hmm. But kind of as I learned more about it and about the folks involved and the cast involved, I was like, all right, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm here for this. I also kind of, so just a quick background, I have a degree in literature and a degree in film. And like one nice. of the most important thing, thanks. <laughs> one of the most important things I could tell anyone who's a fan of like any franchise is if you can like in your head divorce the concept of the book and the film being the exact same thing. Like if you could just let them be two different art forms, you yeah. will enjoy it so much more. It's so true. It's so true. And I feel like we see that a lot with you know to hear and we're just talking about lord of the rings like because there's things that they change where it's like eh, i might have not done it that way but i can totally see why they would and it still like absolutely works and then i feel like with the rings of power it's like another notch of that because they're not really working with you know like gandalf is able to just say straight up his actual dialogue and they're able to just pull scenes exactly from mm-hmm. lord of the rings but since they're tackling the second age you know, they're dealing with, like, an outline and, like, a basic idea of what happens, you know? And they have a, a lot of, you know, uh, space to play, I feel like, and to explore other things, you know, like, ideas and stuff that are mentioned, but then, like, fully flesh them out in a lot of different ways. So I'm really excited to see how they do that. Like, for yeah. example, with, um, I know a character you're excited about is Bronwyn. Oh, love of my life already. I know. Like, I think, and, like, getting to know the cast members a little bit more at this point, I am just, I'm, like, 
yes. Like, everybody is giving me the correct vibes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they care about these characters. They care about this world. And, like, I couldn't ask for more, you know? Um, and so with things like Bronwyn and Arondir, I think this is going to be a side... This is just me speculating, but, like, a side of the story with... Um, kind of the corruption of the men of Middle-earth, not necessarily the Numenorians. Like, I feel like Sauron is just going to be, like, an undercurrent for a while, like, not really showing himself, but we're going to start yeah. to see. So I feel like they're going to be a part of, like, that very Middle-earth conflict, you know? Like, we have the elves doing their thing, we have the Numenorians doing their thing, and then, like, what the heck is everyone else up to? And I feel like we're going to see that with them. Since Arondir is supposedly a sylvan elf, so he's not really, like, involved with that like Noldor nonsense yeah well and uh the village that Bronwyn's from it's called Tir Harad now so we're either in Harad proper or very very close to it so I think people kind of have to like keep in mind when you're talking about Rings of Power that Numenor was a colonial and imperial force mm-hmm. they colonized different parts of Middle Earth um Harad being one of them and so there was a van- very anti-Numenorian sentiment so that's how, you know, Sauron got his stronghold in different parts of Middle-earth. So I'm really excited to see some nuance brought to that story. Um, you know, hopefully some empathy yeah. brought to that story. Because I feel like the, the biggest problem for me with Peter Jackson's trilogy is, you know, it was very... How do I put this delicately? It wasn't diverse. And where it did have diversity, it was very, very much stereotyped. Yeah. So looking yeah. forward to hopefully them correcting that a little bit in Rings of Power. Yeah, I think so. And I think it was probably like, I mean, you know, like I, I don't I f- don't feel like Peter's like a bad person, but I just feel like it was very 2000s. You know what I mean? Like late yeah. 90s, you know? It was like, definitely a product of the time. Yeah. Um, we can do and, better now. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that's something that like, some people don't really understand that like we have evolved (laughs) you know like we're doing things a little different now um but i've just loved seeing there there is like a good side of tiktok and a good side of twitter and i've loved seeing the fans that are really amped up about the show and the possibilities that it brings to the fandom you know i'm just thinking about you know all those little boys and girls who we've never really seen you know black or people of color in playing characters in middle earth and i think that just this is and like there's more women characters leading the the charge here you know galadriel even is gonna like she has been a character and hasn't been around but like she's they're clearly positioning her as like a leading lady now you know Mm -hmm. um so i'm really excited about that um and what that just means for like the future generation of tolkien fans even getting characters of all socioeconomic statuses that are going to be leading characters. Because if you think about the Fellowship, I mean, even Frodo was well off. The right. closest we got to a non-noble, you know, non-rich character was Samwise. Mm-hmm. But now we're going to have a whole range. Yeah, that's a great point. Because, like, Frodo, Mary Pippin, they're all basically, like, aristocratic hobbits. You know, they don't really have to have a job. But <laughs> Sam's over here as our gardener and you know obviously it becomes he's you know there becomes more than that but um yeah that's a really great point 
Anna, do you have any additional? I know we've like probably talked about this a lot in the last couple weeks, but <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything else to like add about my thoughts of the the trailer or the new show, except for the fact that I don't think people realize how important it is for females and people of color and queer people to see characters like themselves in TV. Um, I, it's just, it, it's hard to describe in words, but it is really, really important to have a diverse cast. And I'm happy that Amazon is making those strides. Yeah, um, Ismael, the actor that plays Arandir, just did a beautiful post on Instagram recently describing what the character means to him because he's always wanted to play an elf and was, you know, told that he couldn't because he's Latina, because he's Black. Mm-hmm. But now we're getting all these diverse characters. And yeah, if it's... Again, how do I say this? If you're not a woman, if you're not a person of color, you may not understand how major this is, especially seeing more folks that look like us in fan- in the fantasy genre where, you know, people of color for so long have been shut out, mm-hmm. even female leads. Like, we didn't get a lot of ladies leading in fantasy until more recently. Right. And yeah. that's usually just within the YA genre. So true. it's very meaningful to see this. Yeah, and, and it's funny to me when people are like, well, go write your own, you know, fantasy story. And I'm like, they are, we are? Like, that is happening. We do. They uh, just don't get adapted. Yeah, and so it's like, but this is the thing that Amazon was banking on. So, um, I don't know, like, yeah, yes and, not, mm-hmm. you know, like, they're not mutually exclusive. You can have both. And we will have both. And we shall have both. This is good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, the Eldorado meme. Like, both? Yes. Both is good. That um, meme is my life. It, it's so good. This is a great show. Um, so, yeah. I think that, you know, there is... There's a, there's a lot of ways that they can... They're good, they could, potentially, this story could go... Um, and we don't necessarily have, like, full confirmation on, like, all the plot points they're going to go for and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I think what we've seen so far with, like, the dwarves and the elves and, like, the men and just, like, hearing the cast and the showrunners speak. I'm like, yeah, these these people, they get it, you know? And they're, they're, they're going to do a great job. Like, I fully believe that they had you know they've got the abilities and the talents that they need in order to make this show happen and now it's going to be kind of similar to what we're doing with lord of the rings where it's like yeah maybe i might do something differently or maybe i might have like explored a different area but i mean that's the kind of the beauty of adaptation is that like we're kind of getting this story seen through a different lens and we're seeing it through kind of through the filter of like all these different people like the way the actors Mm -hmm. interpret their lines and the way that the cinematographer and you know the set designer like put together the shot you know and um what they do with the script is only like part of it you know um so i don't know i think only good things yeah definitely excited to see I, as I've said before, I've decided to love Bronwyn already, no matter what. If she goes evil, good for her. As you should, Queen. I don't care. She will be my favorite. I know. Like, every time there's a shot of 
Muriel as well, like mm-hmm. who's like the queen regent of Numenor in this story. I just, and I heard her, like some of the, the panel thing that they did after the Hall Age, like that they streamed online. I was like, man, I love you. I don't even, I don't even care what, ha- like you are the best. <laughs> like sh- she's cool. I know that yeah. to be true, no matter what they do with the show. Oh, she just seems awesome. I've been yeah. following her on Instagram. I'm like, I like you. Yeah. <laughs> You're good people. Yeah. And then Sophie, who plays Disa. I think all the ladies in the show just seem so sweet and real and cool. So here for it. And more importantly, they all fully understand the impact that this is happening because it's, you know, yeah. it's their lived experience as well. Yeah. I think that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love that they're not, like, ignoring the fact that some of these fan- fans, I'm putting in quotation marks, are, have just, like, lost their minds over this. Like, they they address it all the time on social, you That's know, good. and, like, retweeting cosplayers and being like, yes, like, we're, you know, we're so happy to be doing this, um, you know. I don't know. I, I can't remember the exact wording that they've used, but they, they're clearly very aware of, like, the impact that they're having even now. Um, and they, they've, you know, just dealt with it so beautifully. And I'm yeah. excited. Every every week, uh, even if I don't post anything new about Rings of Power, like every week, almost every day, I will have at least one person in my comments somewhere saying something negative. Mm-hmm. And the new favorite excuse is that, oh, we don't care about the diversity. We care about all these other issues. Stop trying to make it about saying we're racist just because we're not worried. I'm like, okay, sure. You may not care about it, but these 10 other comments that I deleted in the past week certainly did. Yeah. And I feel like like a lot of people use that as a cover for, to be mad about the show when like, they actually probably are mad about race, you know, and, but they're trying to cover it up with like dwarf and lady beards. And I'm just like, why are you hung up? You're just trying to be mad. And I don't like, I wish I had all that energy to be angry because it is exhausting to be that angry. And like, think of like, think of all the things you could be doing rather than being mad on the internet. I don't know. That sentiment also implies that race and gender are not a big issue. Like, are there larger issues? I mean, of course there are larger issues, but do you know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. saying that people shouldn't care about those things when we're, that those are huge factors of people's everyday lives. And you can't just overlook those things because I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's a problem. You'd rather talk about lady, you know, bearded ladies. It's how is that that to yeah, whenever they say that, it reeks of the, I don't see color. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, it it gives me this vibe that, like, racism and misogyny is just, like, a thought experiment for them. And I'm like, no, this is, this are our lives. This is, like, this isn't just debating about a TV show. This is how you assholes like actually talk to human beings like to their face that we deal with all the time and now we're just seeing it leak into the show and we're like we're not standing for it because like you're not allowed to talk to people like that in real life and you're not allowed to talk about it in this context of this tv show like i know that to you this is meaningless because you your life has always been kind of represented in tv and movies and whatever you want but um 
you know, they're literally just adding. They're not taking away. So, like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. It's, it's like mind boggling. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I assume we'll all be tuning in September 2nd, loading up our Amazon Prime accounts. I've heard different people talking about, like, how they might drop the episodes. Like, I've heard of, like, maybe they'll drop two at the same time, or, like, are they going to do it like Disney, where it's, like, at a certain time in the middle of the night? Or are they going to do it like Game of Thrones, where, you know, HBO does it kind of, like, in the evening hour? Because I don't know what I'm going to do if they drop it, like in the middle of the night and so it'll be just like hovering over me during my work day um when i can't go watch it i don't know if any if you watch any other amazon tv shows well the thing Um, with the amazon shows that i have watched i always end up watching them like after they're already out and i didn't pay attention to when they were dropping because like so with hbo as a person who watches a lot of hbo and (laughs) has to plan their life around when certain episodes drop um i don't log on at eight o'clock when you know game of thrones or westworld or anything like that drops because the servers will crash and you Mm. will not have a pleasant time watching so you have to wait an hour or two but if amazon drops them in the middle of the night you know and lets people filter in Mm. as time zones change or you know when people can watch it at their convenience and you're gonna have a now this is super technical but you know a better viewing streaming experience if the servers don't crash while you're trying to watch this tv show you're really excited about oh yeah that happened to me with uh wandavision because I was, I, I'm on the West Coast, so I was watching it at midnight every week with my friends, and like the amount of times where we just not would not be able to get onto Disney Plus for like Dang. 15, 20 minutes because the servers were overwhelmed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, interesting to see what that does, but you know, but I'll probably just tune in after work if that, depending on how that happens with their. Friday releases. Also interested to see if they do drop two episodes at the same time. I'm really hoping they pull a, like they did with the Obi-Wan Kenobi show and release the first episode early. That was mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. I'd be down for that. So. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Keep our eyes glued <laughs> to our prime video. <laughs> the internet will blow up. I know. Yeah. If good, bad, in between, it will. There will be a response. Yeah, that is a fact. That is something we can confirm right here, right now. <laughs> People will have feelings. Yeah. Strong Coming ones. soon. <laughs> to a browser near you. <laughs> so cool. Well, I'm excited. And I'm also very excited about today's episode. Because, like we were just talking about... We, you know, our lady characters are important, and that goes for Eowyn as well. So we're we're excited because women, because women, exactly. Woo. So I just love it when she, and then when she, when you know, she, <laughs> when she exists Her. and she does those things, I'm here for it. Yes. So let's get into what those things are. So today we're covering the chapters: the Rite of the Rohirrim. And the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, which super roughly responds to like two hours and 32 minutes into the extended edition of Return of the King to two hours and 55 minutes. So we're looking at like 20 something, 23 minutes right now. 
Um, and I also just want to note that while this movie does go into the pyre of Denethor during some of this, uh, we are going to not, we're going to ignore him and talk about him next time. Uh, because I mean, we're... you can always ignore Denethor. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll get to him next time. Uh, the book hasn't quite gotten there. Peter added him into this part. Um, and we're, so we're focusing on the Rohirrim today. So, where we stopped in both the film and the book, the Witch King was confronting Gandalf at the gate, and we heard the horns of the Rohirrim arriving, basically just in the nick of time at this battle. However, we're going to backtrack for a second, because uh, during the ride of the Rohirrim that, that, ha- that, happens, that happens right before that, um, in the movie, we only see, like, the briefest of nods to this chapter during the last segment of the movie that we talked about, where we see Mary and Eowyn talking about, talking while the Rohirrim are camping on the road to war. Um, but in the book, Mary notes that Durnhelm, aka, who we find out, like, it's Eowyn. It's Eowyn the whole time, but yeah. in, in the book, they were able to, like, that's able to be a surprise, but in the movie, it's obviously Eowyn the whole time. Um, and, but he notes that Durnhelm never talks, and Mary's essentially ignored uh, by the rest of the writers, and he believes that there's some kind of agreement between Durnhelm and Elfhelm, who's the leader of their company, or ARED, um, you know, basically to ignore them both, um, even because they're both not supposed to be there. <laughs> uh, so, in the movie, there's no Elfhelm, and the audience is fully aware it's Eowyn, um, but it definitely gives a different flavor to the reveal of Eowyn later. Just uh, so it's really only a surprise for the Witch King in the movie because we're right. already in the know. But it's like a bigger surprise for like everyone reading, which is it's it's kind of cool. But I don't really know how they would have accomplished that <laughs> in in the movie anyway, um, unless they yeah. had. To- I don't- because even with the helmet on, it's still so, so clearly Eowyn. Yeah, it's, it's Eowyn. I mean, like, sorry. Uh, so, but I think the way they handle it works really well. But we're not talking about Eowyn just yet, just yet, because the whole purpose of the Ride of the Rohirrim chapter is to show Theoden and crew trying to figure out how they can get to Minas Tirith because they've sent scouts out. They're told that orcs are pretty much everywhere and they're trying to be sneaky, you know? But Theoden has found an ally in the Wozes, which is a group that lives in the forest that's just, like, on the other side of the mountains um, near Minas Tirith. And according to Elfhelm, the Wozes are the wild men of the woods, remnants of an older time they be, living few and secretly, wild and wary as the beasts. They go not to war with Gondor or the Mark, but now they are troubled by the darkness and the coming of the orcs. They fear lest the dark years be returning, as seems likely enough. Um, and when Mary sneaks over to, like, watch Theoden and the writers, which I was like, I'm like, I know that we need Mary as our like eyes and ears for this part uh but i'm also kind of like mary how is theoden not going to be like excuse me what are you doing here um but he sneaks over and watches when they are meeting with the leader of the Wozes, who is gone Gan. i don't know if i'm saying his name right 
there's like accents over certain parts, but gone, very gone. Um, he is reminded of the Pukul men, which if you remember are the little statues that lined the road to Dunharrow. So it kind of seems to be like, these are ancient people. They obviously seem to have a bigger territory once upon a time, if they were all the way back at Dunharrow as well. And now they're kind of confined to this little forest, um, probably because they don't want to deal with all this men nonsense. Um, Mood. <laughs> right? I would, I would, that's like the vibe I'm getting. Um, and Gonbury Gon explains that they will help as they can lead them on safe paths away from the roaming orcs and towards the battle because they know all paths. Wild men live here before stone houses, before tall men come up out of the water. And so there are two things I'd like to note about this group. Like the last time we talked about wild men, it was um, only, it was juxtaposed with Saruman, right? It was Saruman mm-hmm. convinces the Dunlingdings that the Rohirrim are evil and cruel and that they should fight them. Um, and in the book, we've also heard Faramir kind of compare the different types of men. Like we have the high and the Numenorean men and then the middle men who are the Rohirrim and then the wild men who we've now seen are like examples of which are the Dunlendings and the the Wozes. And so now we're kind of seeing a separate group of wild men who are aiding our main heroes rather than like an adversary or something to, you know, problem. Um, And I really think that they are important to note because, you know, while they have a completely different way of life, it shows that different doesn't mean evil or cruel. And like most of the time in Lord of the Rings, when we're given a group that is different from like our main guys, they're kind of bad guys. And, and I feel like this is particularly in the films. Yeah, exactly. But they're cut, you know, and like, I get it, but also like, you know, I mean, it was kind of an opportunity, but I mean, they are kind of shown as like primitive, which maybe isn't great, but it is kind of an interesting, like, you know, Tolkien, I, I think he's really like throughout the book struggling with this idea of like, because later he gives kind of a description of the men, like of Harad, and it's not great. <laughs> like, I didn't like right. the way that he described them. Um, and they just, it's very like stereotypical or like um, kind of icky. But I feel like, I don't know if that's just me like putting this on him, but it kind of feels like you're getting these little touches of him trying to explore that idea of like, gray morality and also people that aren't necessarily good or necessarily evil but or more good or you know like on a spectrum of like good and evil um and i you know him trying to figure out like like i just feel like it's kind of like a question mark like he didn't really necessarily fully know how to explore it but i feel like yeah the the woes are like an important example of how like he he isn't trying to just like paint everyone as bad necessarily i mean it's like you know, when you're in a war, I get it. Like you got to fight somebody if they're attacking you. Right. But, um, this is kind of like a, just kind of a little nod there to like some nuance, I would say. Yeah. Well, and it's also important to note that Tolkien revised everything, you know, for years, his entire life, he was still revising middle earth and the peoples and the lore So I do think he started out very stereotypical, um, was relying a lot on the, the ideas of light and dark as representing good and evil and kind of going from there. He wasn't perfect. Right. He was definitely in some ways a product of his time, but he did try. 
And he tried more than some modern authors do. Like when he was confronted, when, when he was corrected and said, hey, this is not, this is a stereotype or this is maybe not what you intended. He at least would go back and revise things. Right. So, like he just that. absorbs. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that this is like, when we're talking about Tolkien, like the, you can, I mean, you just, I, to me, it's like, yes, these books are like great and they made, I mean, they were so special and they do some really beautiful things, but at the end of the day, this is a human man that is writing them, right? And like, I mean, I think he was super smart. Like he was obviously an Oxford professor and most professors I know have like, they're pretty cool in generally speaking. You know what I mean? Like, I think that you can see him kind of dealing with these different ideas um, that he doesn't like fully get to flesh out because, you know, with these, Lord of the Rings, it's like he is actually trying to get these published so that they, you know, can like sell them. Uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. with like the Silmarillion, there was no, he never thought that that was, he was told explicitly that they weren't going to be published. So he had, he kept like going back to that and fixing it. And I feel like he probably given more time would have tried to change other things about Lord of the Rings too. Um, I don't know. So I just thought that they're, they're an interesting group um, to include. And I think that they, you, it's, you kind of see him like struggling with this idea of like, how do I paint these, you know, like describe these different groups with, you know, and, uh, some nuance and um so that's kind of why i think they're interesting and a little thing that you wouldn't really know if you just watched the movies because they're not even referenced they're not they're not even a nod you know um so right that's really an important theme throughout all the books and the histories um no one's inherently good or evil Mm -hmm. it's the choices that they make that lead them down one path or another exactly and on another note uh, I want to point out, so, like, Gone Burry Gone talks about how long that they've been there since before the Tall Men, which have got to be the Numenorians, since they're supposed to be, like, eight feet tall, um, and they come up out of the water, capital W, so ocean, right? And that's definitely where the Numenorians came out, because they're an island nation. Um, so... Let's, let's talk about Rings of Power right around the corner. And we know that they mostly have the rights. I'm sure that there's more that they're not telling us. But they mostly, they're relying on Lord of the Rings and the appendices. And, like, maybe The Hobbit. But there's not really anything in The Hobbit um, for this. Uh, will we see the Woses and the Rings of Power? Mm, I'm not sure. I don't... Like, I don't know. There's just so much to cover. Yeah. But I'm just saying, who knows? Like, depending on what they do with the men of Middle-earth, I mean, what, they've committed to five seasons, right? It's a yeah. possibility. They could toss them in. They're canonically a part of the timeline. So. True, true. I mean, I'd be interested for them to, like, explore that. Um, and... Maybe when, and maybe it's not even like a fully, you know, full outline, but maybe they're like in a scene somehow briefly. Well, once we, I don't think we'll, it's going to take a few seasons for us to actually get to the fall of Numenor. Yeah. 
I for think sure. it's probably not going to be till a little bit later in the show. Um, but in theory, if we do cover all that and we do cover the surviving Numenorians coming to Middle Earth, they will have to encounter someone else. Mm-hmm. Or maybe because we're seeing the Harfoots and do the Harfoots. The Harfoots mostly keep to themselves, I think, at this point. But mm-hmm. we shall see. Yeah. I don't know. I was just like, wait a second. I mean, they could. It's it's possible. So, um... Right. And because they are in Lord of the Rings, like the actual text of Return of the King, they do have access to it. Exactly. So, I'd be interested for them to go there and add them in somewhere. Um... You know, especially when it comes to if they do deal with the, you know, explicitly the colonization side of Numenorians and just like, like, I'm sure because at the, you know, Tolkien kind of puts it like Numenorians show up and at first it's like to teach the, it's not like a colonizer thing. At first it's it's like them teaching the middlemen, you know, and like everybody's benefiting from it essentially. And then as Numenor starts to turn to darkness, you could say, or like starts to fall, um, then it kind of switches to like he basically says, like, and then it's like power colonization, not good stuff. So it would be interesting if they had like, if they weren't, maybe they're just kind of like in the background, and then maybe at some point when they're like, no, like we don't actually want you here, you know, and how they might react to that because there's clearly uh, a reduction in like the area that they occupy and they're kind of limited to this one forest by the time we get to Return of the King. Kind of jumping off that, that they came there to quote unquote teach. Yeah, that's not so different from history. Yeah. (laughs) Right. The Spanish just came over to quote unquote teach indigenous peoples things, right? right no (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting like how you you see him like writing it you know it's him like obviously trying to paint Numenor as like they're chill and then they're not so chill you know but I think and especially with the speeding up of the timeline I'm sure that it's probably just gonna be like not so chill earlier you know yeah, and I think we're really going to see a dichotomy. My prediction is that we're going to see a huge dichotomy between Myrdiel and Arpharazon, I mm-hmm. think, and his takeover kind of changing the, yeah. the culture maybe around Numenor. Yeah, I kind of feel like she's going to be between a rock and a hard place in some ways because I feel like she's she's clearly friends with Galadriel, right, uh, based on the trailer. <laughs> and I feel like it's going to be one of those things where – she wants to help Galadriel, and maybe she does at the outset, but then our Farazan, well, he's maybe not our, but Farazan, whatever they're calling him, he, he's, he's given me Rasputin, like, he's given me, like, counselor to Muriel, I don't remember what title they actually gave him on the show, but, like, I feel like he is going to be kind of, like, undermining her secretly, um, and, like, getting people to think, poorly of the elves you know he's gonna be like that guy or and like obsessed with death kind of thing and probably going to make it seem like all of these people in Numenor don't want to deal with the elves anymore they don't want to help them they don't want anything to do with them and then Muriel's gonna be like well what do I do you know like how am I supposed to lead 
and when everyone's so divided, you know. Well, and I think an important thing that tells me about Muriel's characterization is the fact that in her poster, she's holding the white flower, Mm -hmm. you know, from Nimloth, the tree. Right. To me, that just shows like kind of the symbolism there. It's like an allegiance with, you know, truth, the light Mm -hmm. calls back the trees of Alnor and all that good stuff. Yeah. It just makes me think of how like, like we're about to get with Eowyn, you know, like when you have a role and you have people like Aragorn and Faramir who are like always good you know they're always they always make the right call somehow some way like they're always they're like driven by this idea of duty but I think it would be interesting if they explored how there's doing there's duty and then there's doing the right thing sometimes they're not always synonymous you know um so yeah Right, and I think we we have to see that in Mm -hmm. the television show. It's because the rules of film are different than the rules of literature and the formatting and all that. In literature, you can have a character who is purely good, you know, and all that. But the kind of, like, the structure and the rules around writing film dictate. (laughs) Right. That's why we had an Aragorn who, you know, maybe questioned some things. That's why... That's why they had to ruin Faramir's character. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anna didn't like it when they said he was ruined. <laughs> Listen, David Wenham's still fine in the role. Um, yeah. And I, he, he, he does good in the end. I just wish that they'd made him a little less emo, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't. Yeah. I think that he was. And, like, especially in the book, like, he obviously knows who his dad is and that he sucks, but he didn't, he was just like, well, you know, so be it if daddy gets mad, you know? But in the book, or in the movie, he's like, well, gotta prove myself to dad. And it's like, no, actually, no. (laughs) You can make this call, boy. And then he finally does. But, you know, it's different. It's different. But, like... Then there are other characters that they kind of don't touch as far as, like, that kind of story arc kind of thing, you know? So it's interesting. Like, I I feel like they were like, Denethor is shitty enough. We don't need to make him shittier. Or, like, they don't even really make Denethor redeem I don't know. Uh, but Gandalf pretty much solid the whole way through. It's yeah. just Gandalf. It's just always Gandalf. Um, but, yeah. Any other thoughts about these these guys that were left out of um, the movie, the Woses, or just like their journey to Minas Tirith? I don't. I think we all know what we're here for. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. So now, cut back to the horns are blowing. Like in the movie, you know, the riders of Rohan show up and. You know, they're looking down on this insane amount of orcs. And, I mean, just the way that they have put this together. Like, I was rewatching it this morning, and I was like, actual chills. You know, when these guys show up, and it's... Theoden is the moment, right there. Like, his speech to the Rohirrim, like, cuts to eyes. Like, Eowyn's eyes, like, totally filled with terror at the insanity that they're about to walk into. Um, and everyone's screaming death. I mean, it's perfect. It's perfect 
I'm not I'm not gonna change that scene. Like I I have no no notes. It's so good. It's so good. Um Anna, do you have any thoughts about like the beginning of this battle? In Peter style, it is very powerful and dramatic. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, this battle definitely needed to feel that way. Yeah, I agree. He got he could have toned down Helm's Deep and left it all for this. You know what I mean? Listen, though, Helm's Deep. (laughs) I love that sequence. Fun short anecdote. I used to go to a gym that had, like, a movie theater section. Like, it was just a big screen in a dark room with all the ellipticals and, like, treadmills. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the gym I want to go to. Yeah. So one week, they played Lord of the Rings, the extended editions, as their movies. And I'm telling you... When it was, when it was, came time for the Battle of Helm's Deep, I have never done so much cardio before in my life. <laughs> I can imagine. Going. Yeah, you're just like. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hate working out. I don't even go Not to the gym anymore, but I would still go if they did that, that every week. That you could get me there. Yeah. On a big screen, absolutely, it hit different. Wow. Yeah, but and if I have to bust my booty to do it, I would. If there's one thing Peter Jackson did really, really well in Lord of the Rings, it was those battle sequences and making them dramatic, and but still keeping the story flowing. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does that. And like in with this scene, he kind of smushes all of the sequence of events together, like. The Mooma Killer is supposed to show up after the Witch King is dead. Aragorn's supposed to show up, like, way towards the end of the battle when they think they're going to lose again, you know? But he just, like, all of it kind of happens at once. Um, but that's fine. Like, Yeah, it actually shocked me, like, how much... Okay, so, like, within this chapter, right, it's technically the Rohirrim arriving and then battling at Minas mm-hmm. Tirith. Uh, it yeah. shocked me about how much runtime, like, these first two and a half pages of the chapter take mm-hmm. in the film itself because he really stretched out this beginning battle sequence before we get to Eowyn's big moment because it happens oh, yeah. really early in the chapter yeah and like, like Eowyn's the- moment it's like yeah it's like because the beginning of it he kind of like Tolkien just kind of like swats over like Theoden's doing a great job you know um and then the witch king shows up and it's like Bitch, I don't want you to be going doing a good job, you know, um, before all the other stuff happens. But, like, Peter kind of takes all of these events and he builds up to this moment a little bit more, which uh, totally understandable. Um, and one thing that I do want to juxtapose, like, Theoden with Denethor really quick is that, like, last time we saw Gandalf kind of berating Denethor for, like, he's, like, dressed in mail and stuff, but he's not out on the field. Like, he's not leading his men. And he kind of, and he draws a comparison to Denethor acting like the Witch King and that he's leading from behind. But then even the Witch King is out on the battlefield while Denethor hides on the seventh level of Minas Tirith. And then we've got multiple references about how Theoden was ever before his men and he could Mm -hmm. not be overtaken. Like, he is leading that charge and... I just and they, and they do it in the book or in the movie as well as in the book and so I I really liked that um, especially since we're kind of seeing them so close together uh, you know to compare these two leaders of men 
Um, and I think Thaden is, we stand at Thaden. So like, I mean, yeah, and that's kind of consistent throughout, just in terms of when he's representing leaders, like Aragorn in the final battle, he's leading. Mm-hmm. He's always leading. He's out in front as well versus, you know, more in the movies, but in general, Saruman. Yeah. Leading from his tower. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a it's a point that he, you know, explicitly makes, you know, mm-hmm. like, even if you're the baddest bitch out there, you're in the back and um, you suck for that. <laughs> um, and, and also an interesting point in the book is that for a split second, for like one quick paragraph at the beginning of the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, so we had kind of, we had seen that the Rohirrim were showing up. It backtracks to see how the Rohirrim got there. And then it goes forward again with where we were a second ago with kind of the Witch King being like, the fuck is this? You know, with the horns blowing. And it switches to his perspective in a way. You know, it says, but it was no orc chieftain or brigand that led the assault upon Gondor. The darkness was breaking too soon, before the date that his master had set for it. And now I'm imagining Sauron with a calendar and Baradur, like, this is a day that we will take over the world. Um, Fortune had betrayed him for the moment. The world had turned against him. Victory was slipping from his grasp, even as he stretched out his hand to seize it. But his arm was long. He was still in command, wielding great powers. King, Ringwraith, Lord of the Nazgul. He had many weapons. He left the gate and vanished. And I think this is the only time that we get to see, like, the Witch King's kind of thinking. Um, And it's just an interesting timing, considering what's about to happen to him. (laughs) Um, But I, I do, I, I did like kind of getting to see that for a split second about him just being like, like, what is happening? Like, this is supposed to be my moment, you know, and it's, it's not working out. It's just not working out for you. Um, so then, um, let's just talk about Eowyn. So, yes, let's always talk about Eowyn. Let's just talk about Eowyn. So, I, I was just thinking about this, and I just love, like, that how she's there in the first place, you know? Like, again, talking about, like, duty and, you know, your role in this Middle Earth. We've got Mary and Eowyn right now, and neither of them are supposed to be there in a number of ways. You know, Mary probably least of all. Um, but... Eowyn especially, I think she's really the catalyst for Mary being there. And Eowyn also is like, she's been told by multiple people to stay back, you know, lead her people while the men are away. And she's like, absolutely not. And like, normally we see with Aragorn and folks like him is that like, yeah, like doing your duty and it's, you know, doing that thing that you promised to do or whatever, like, it works out. But, like, think about it for a second. <laughs> like, if Eowyn had been like, yeah, let's, I won't go. I'll just stay back here. There's no way you get the end of the Witch King, mm-hmm. you know? And there's no way you get Mary there either, which also is kind of pivotal to, to ruining the Witch King. Um, uh, so, in this scene, 
I think it, it feels pretty accurate in the movie, but there is like more dialogue. Um, and, you know, we've got the, you don't come between the Nazgul and his prey um, it, because everyone loves it when you speak about yourself in the third person, aka <laughs> Witch King. Um, and he threatens to take her to the houses of lamentation beyond all darkness where thy flesh shall be devoured and thy shriveled mind to be left naked to the lidless eye. I thought you would like that, Anna. Spooky. So, yeah, so I wanted to throw that in there. I think I saw like the Tolkien professor one time where someone was like, what are the houses of lamentation? And I'm like, this is What's their purpose. I think this is a guy that is like making shit up on the spot and is like, I'm gonna, we're gonna mess you up, late person, man. He, you know, he yeah. still thinks Eowyn is random person uh, trying to fight me. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you know, not what you're dealing with. Um, so I feel like, I mean, I'm sure that there is, I don't think it's like an official houses of lamentation, probably just something icky and Minas Morgul or Barador or something. Amber, do you have any thoughts about the Houses of Lamentation? I'm trying to remember because I know I've read this before. Is there um, like an explicit so reference like, to it elsewhere? Because I feel like he's basically saying, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to take you to Mordor and you're going to wish you were dead. Yeah. This is what I get from this. Yeah, totally. And it's like, yeah, I mean, probably. I'm, I believe it. But I love that Eowyn is just like, do what you will, but I will hinder it if I may. Um, and that's where he's like, he says no man may hinder me. In the movie, they make it no man can kill me. Cause, right. And which is like, in the movie, Gandalf has said that, like, it is said that, you know, no man can kill him. And so they're obviously, like, calling back to that. Mm -hmm. But here, he's specifically responding to what she says. Um, and so I think that this is, like, the moment where the, it's the only, like, thing that's significantly changed is that Eowyn laughs. And that's, like, the moment where, like, Mary kind of starts to realize who it is. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it seemed that Durnhelm laughed, and the clear voice was like the ring of steel. But no living man am I. You look upon a woman. Eowyn, I am. Eowyn's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone if you be not deathless. For living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. Ooh. I love it. And, and I love that that her doing this makes him pause, makes the not like the ring wraith, the our witch king. He pauses as if in sudden doubt. And I want, and I just imagined him being like, Well, I never considered that this prophecy thing meant a lady. I wonder if this is something I know we keep going back to rings of power, but I wonder if this is something they might explore more about the because we're gonna see where this is the first time we're gonna see maybe characters the characters who end up becoming the non school mm -hmm. because it's never clearly defined right in any of Tolkien's works um so I don't know if we're gonna see the birth of the prophecy are we gonna find out that some of the ring wraiths were women I think that's a possibility I know some people don't mm -hmm. like that interpretation but they were great kings and leaders amongst men right true 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 yeah, that's interesting that if there are some women ring rates and then for, you know, our Lord of the Nazgul to not account for women as, like, a threat. I don't know. 
Or do they perhaps know that women are a threat in the prophecy? They know there's no way to tell. Yeah, exactly. Lots of interpretations that can be made there. Yeah. But it definitely seems to have just crossed his mind just now that Eowyn maybe has a, a car, like an ace in the hole. <laughs> um, and this is the moment that Mary is like, kind of starts to get the courage to start like moving towards the witch king. Um, and, you know, in the book, it's like, this is the moment where, you know, his fell beast is like, Rawr, and then she um, chopped its head off and then he gets really pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mary is able to stab him in like the back of the leg. And he, you know, had never known such anguish. I think we saw that again with like Shelob, like all these hobbits cause an anguish to people that never felt so much anguish in their lives. Um, and so he falters and that's when Eowyn is able to be like, like right in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, the, first off, I also just want to give a huge round of applause to Peter and team, probably Philip and Fran, uh, for making it so that Theoden says his last words to Eowyn in the movie yeah. and not Mary. Mm. Um, so Mary is the person that Theoden talks to as he's dying. And even Amir shows up in time for Theoden to say a couple words like, okay, you're going to be king now. Um, while meanwhile, Eowyn is like nearby, like passed out from like saving him from saving everyone yeah yeah it's just Uh, so much more emotionally impactful to have them share that moment together you know she who like he was her only father figure for so much of her life and then it's just it's it's so much better (laughs) and like to add to that like they do the callback to when in the earlier in two towers after they had had gotten out of like saruman's spell and the first person he sees is eowyn and he's such a good callback i know your face it's beautiful and so they do it again here and if you're not crying what is (laughs) like it's so good it's so good and i love it it's so emotional and then when amr finds her body and you know carl urban is like putting his whole soul into that scream like his just, whole Carl Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> I love Carl here. Yeah. He, I mean, it's like, it's, it's so great. It's so well done. And I'm like, yeah. like, I understand that like Mary is our eyes and ears for a lot of this, but like, no, why are you the one talking to him? No, I don't. Yeah. I also appreciate just the dialogue change because obviously Eowyn has this really powerful speech that they don't give her in the film. They just have her say, I am no man. And that life, that line just like cuts like a knife. Mm, yeah. So I think that was a smart choice because cinematically, like, and there's already so many speeches in Lord of the Rings. And I yeah. feel like that's something you have to be used sparingly in order for it to be effective. Yeah. So we already, we just had Theoden's big. Right. Dad. Right. Yeah. We're going to have Aragorn's later, like, cutting hers down to just a line that's like snappy and to the point yeah looks great on a t-shirt <laughs> so true yeah i i really like that um uh i think the only thing that's interesting is that like she i mean it, it the way they do it in the movie definitely makes more sense like physically like she has already had her like arm busted you know which is true for you know for both and um so, like, I get, like, you she probably, you don't have the energy to give a speech right now. 
Like, you are standing with the Lord of the Nazgul in front of you, you know? So, so I get it. I just kind of like that she laughs in his face because yeah, it's a pretty cool move. Um, I don't know how she wasn't, like, peeing her pants a little bit. Good for her. Good for Eowyn in book and movie. Just, I love you. I love you. And that's all. It's a good moment. I love Eowyn so much in this house. Yes. Um, so, so I love that she gets to say goodbye to Thea, and it makes so much more sense, you know? Um, so, so there's like changes happening in Return of the King that I'm like, yes, go for it. You did it. Two Towers, not so much, but Return of the King, we're back on track. <laughs> I feel like with what they're doing. Um, and then, so I do want to touch on like Mary's dagger quickly, because this mm-hmm. is something that I wanted to talk about since like we went to the Barrow Downs with Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Like, way back when, in, like, episode seven or eight. Um, so to backtrack a little bit, and Amber, you can help me out if I miss any points, but, like, early in the Third Age, descendants of the Numenorians, like, the Dunedain, lived in Eriador, which is, like, the area the Shire is in, like, all of that area over there, um, Arnor, um, near the Shire, and the Witch t- King had taken up residence and Angmar to the north, um, and they mm. were fighting each other for a long time. Um, and just, like, paraphrasing and, like, shortening it. But, like, at one point, the Barrow Downs, outside of the Old Forest, that had been graves of kings and, like, fancy people of the Dunedain, um, essentially. Uh, but the Witch King, being the Witch King, had sent evil spirits to live there. So by the time we get to it in Lord of the Rings, it's just, like, a spoopy place where you don't want to be, you know? You avoid it. Um, but after Tom saves the Hobbits... So they run naked on the grass, as we recall. Um, and, and Tom has them take some items from the Downs, notably daggers. So in the movie, we see Merry and Pippin getting daggers from Galadriel. Mm-hmm. But the history of the daggers is what like kind of gives them their oomph at this moment. So when he Merry stabs the Witch King, and then the blade, it's like smoking like a dry branch that has been thrust in a fire. And as he watched it, it writhed and withered and was consumed. So past the sword of the Barrow Downs, like <laughs> Tolkien's like, remember this? Remember where he got this? A uh, work of Westerness. But glad would he have been to know that it's fate who wrought it slowly long ago in the North Kingdom when the Dunedain were young, and chief among their foes was the dread realm of Angmar and its sorcerer king. No other blade, not though mightier hands had wielded it, would have dealt that foe as wounds so bitter cleaving the undead flesh, breaking the spell that knit his unseen sinews to his will. And I'm just, like, obsessed with this for a couple of reasons. You know, um, like, we, we talked a little bit about how they shouldn't have been there in the first place, and had they both listened, like, the Witch King would have continued to be a problem. Um, and, like, obviously, I don't want to take away anything from what Eowyn did here, but to me, this moment always feels like a little mini fellowship, like a little microcosm of the whole story. Um, like these two followed their hearts to do what they could do for their friends and family. Like that is um, a constant drumbeat. Like we're constantly having all of the fellowship members like being like, I'm thinking of someone else, not myself in this moment. Um, and I feel like these two are doing that here, you know, Throughout the whole thing, it's talking about how Aon, aka Durnhelm, is like trying to stay close to Thade, and she obviously is like trying to protect him at all costs. And then we also have like the magic of 
the blades, you could say, um, is able to kind of help Eowyn deal that death blow to the Witch King. So mm-hmm. they're all helping each other in that moment so to take out this like massive evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's not as a big bad as Sauron, but he's not a tiny bad. Not a tiny bad. No. So I love that like you get this moment of teamwork here and when it could all go horribly, horribly wrong, but we all just, you know, follow our hearts to a degree and just like, okay, I got to help Eowyn. Eowyn's like, I can't let him eat that. And, you know, we're all kind of like putting our, you know, putting our own selves to the side. And, and, you know, Mary had no idea. He had, would have no clue that he had like a special blade that would have done that. And it's just like right place, the right time, you know? Good stuff like that. And it reminds me almost exactly of when Gandalf helps convince Elrond that Merry and Pippin should come on the journey to begin with, um, where he says that it would be better to trust their friendship than wisdom. And I feel like we see that again here, like their friendship and love for others and like each other is what, you know, ultimately leads to that victorious moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Gandalf's always the only one that you know, truly sees the value of hobbits. That's, mm-hmm. you know, a theme throughout the whole, the Hobbit and the trilogy. Yeah. Uh, and that's just kind of, I think, due to his nature as, you know, being a Maya, one of the Maya. Yeah. I think, like, there is um, something so, they're just so opposite of Sauron, you know, in the way that they think about the world. And, and sometimes not always great, but it, the fact that, like, they, you know, he says in the Council of Elrond that Sauron, you know, measures all hearts by the way that he is, you know, that their mm-hmm. lust for power and stuff. And, like, they don't give a rip. They don't give a toot. Like, they are just here to, like, eat and have a good time and, like, you know, learn about their genealogies and smoke some pipe weed, you know, stuff like that. So, um, I really yeah. love that. And they're the only creatures in Middle-earth who really live that way you know Mm -hmm. it's even proven time and time again that the elves are not you know they too can be corrupt they too long for power even galadriel herself you know that's Mm -hmm. part of her early story is that she she longs to come to middle earth because she desires to have you know a a seed of her own in some her own like little kingdom yeah so it's kind of like the hobbits even though they seem simple and you know unassuming they are the the purest in their way because they just want a simple life. They just want to be happy and they're community based. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. Yeah. it It's huge. I mean, it's, they, I mean, literally rule the fate of many because they're just so precious. Um, and they, they, I mean, you know, I'm sure that there are other hobbits that would have been less suited for this journey. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Ted Sandyman comes to mind, maybe would have been, worse but overall i think hobbits in general they they have a special quality that makes them easy to overlook but also is something that a lot of people lack right Hmm. so i just love this i love the you know like like, I love this moment, and I think that they present it beautifully in the film. Like, this is one of the things where I'm like, yes, the way that you changed it makes it 
really fun to watch, but also like really heart wrenching um, and beautiful. But like, I like that Aowen gets to fight the Mumakil, like the elephants. You know, I like that they add that elephant, uh, that like element to her like building of like how she's um, not only there to protect Aowen, but she's like doing her job. You know, like she's like helping right. and like and the film the films show that she's also she's a capable fighter. She didn't mm-hmm. just get lucky. Yeah, with the Witch King, she is capable on her own. Exactly, and I think like with her like having Mary take the reins and she like slashes the the back of the elephant's legs so that it kind of like fumbles and falls. I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, and visually it just looks awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's sick. They, I mean it's like, but I do love like they they do have. I mean it hits like a lot of the same beats as the book, you know. But they just mm-hmm. kind of swirl things around a little bit um and i think it just makes that moment with aowen all that more impactful agreed yeah (laughs) agreed (laughs) (laughs) so i mean those were most of my notes we have been here for an hour and like five minutes do either of you ladies have any other thoughts about this moment in the movie the battle in general the rohirrim any additional thoughts? I mean, other than the fact that Eowyn is a queen, and it's a shame she never got the title. She never actually gets the title of princess. I was so mad when I realized that. Oh. <laughs> and we're going to talk about that next time I'm here, I think. Yes. Yeah, we are. Um, yeah, I was looking, I was researching that recently just to see because, we you know, you know, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, when she marries Faramir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <He inherits this. laughs> uh, Wait, uh, is that a spoiler? <laughs> I don't know that. Wait, you didn't? <laughs> I don't. It's not actually in the books or the movies explicitly. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's amazing no but honestly let's talk about it a little bit because Anna like Anna I'm sure she'll tune in to the podcast (laughs) when she's not on it but um so she is explicitly anymore I think it's in the appendices yeah it's definitely in the appendices but like so her and, but we do know that her and Faramir start getting some feels when they're in the houses of healing. Feelings for each other. So they, the houses of the healing. houses of the healing. So in the movie, like in like right after this moment, we see Aragorn go up and he's like dressing people's wounds, you know, um, which is also a sign of like the king um, being able to heal people. But either way, they are both been you know. Uh, Faramir has been struck by like a dart and he's been poisoned and it's taken him a while and you know Eowyn has just fought the Witch King so it takes a while to heal from that Mm -hmm. and they you know at first Eowyn is like whatever Faramir like leave me alone but he's like you're so pretty Um, that's not what he says but you get it Um, he's like I'm digging the vibe and she's like leave me alone I just want to die and he's like no and you know they they kind of uh, get to know each other a little bit better and then later we find out that they, and like they do go in the book together, like 
I, I, they might get betrothed in the book. We'll see it. We'll confirm eventually. I can't um, remember if it's ever explicitly stated because I it all blends together. Like the book and the appendices I know. all blend together it, it in my brain. <laughs> it does. But I do know that they make a stop with, you know, Amer and Eowyn and I think Faramir when they at the very end, like on their way back to the Shire and stuff, they stop in Edoras. Um, and I think Faramir yeah. got them for that part. Long story short, Faramir gets an honorary title that says prince, so I thought Eowyn was considered a princess, and she's not. And she's not technically a princess in Rohan, either. Oh, is she just, like, a lady? She's just a lady. Lady is her title. Lady of Rohan, the white lady of, I'm like... Dillian, yeah. (laughs) She should have gotten a title, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) After all that work she did? I know. Yeah, she... They call her many names, but she doesn't get the the official title. Yeah, unfortunately, so, a gross injustice. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about that more okay. next time when Amber joins us for the Houses of the Healing. Yeah, it's a good one. I like that chapter. I have a lot of feelings about that chapter, and compared to the film, mm. but we will talk about that next time. We sure will. We sure will. Anna, did you have any other um, thoughts about this one? Um, I do not. Okay. Just, we just love Eowyn is the general vibe. I think. I mean, I do think she's better portrayed. I mean, I mean, I have no reference because I didn't read the books, but in the two towers, it seems like a lot of pining, you know, a lot of everything's about Aragorn. Yeah, uh, so it's then too in much. this one where you get to see her be like, you know, a little sassy and a little like she's not following directions. She's going to go ahead and fight and as you as you mentioned, actually be capable um, and stand out in this huge battle, I think is it's cool and interesting. It's one of the better parts of the of the movies. So, yeah. I'm here for it. Agree. Hard yep. agree. Yep. And as always, uh, the extended editions are better because they cut a lot of Aowen scenes. So. Yeah. And somebody on Twitter, I they were saying that Aomer finding Aowen on the battlefield is an extended scene. Is that true? Is it? I don't, it's been such a long time since I've I watched know, like, the theatrical cut. <laughs> like, I don't know. I only watched the extended editions. I know, I haven't watched the theatrical in definitely years. I feel like it has to, it would make no narrative sense. Because that moment right after with when they first show her in the Houses of Healing and you get that mm-hmm. moment where Faramir looks at her, that's in the regular I think that's in the theatrical, but they're them actually talking is an extended edition. Right. Scene. Yeah. I don't know. It all blurs together at this point. I don't know, watch the rough. theatrical cut. That's right. I don't think I've seen the theatrical cuts since I saw the them theaters. in theaters. Yeah. yeah. I, I specifically remember asking my mom to hold out on buying them until the extended ones came out. Ah. I I did own the theatrical cuts. I don't even know if but I then did Then I that. got the extended. Huh? I don't even remember if we bought those. Yeah, I I know I owned them, but I don't. This is so long ago. I know. <laughs> it's so confusing. It if anyone wants to confirm what's an extended scene in this battle or not, 
please. I bet DM we can us. pull a list at some point. Probably. But <laughs> I'm not made a list already. Yeah, if if somebody else cares, they can look it up. But I probably will not. I'm just gonna say it. <laughs> we only watch extended editions. I I will not apologize for that. Yeah, and it's also like I don't want to compare the theatrical version to the books because then that's even less. Like, you know what I mean? It's even fewer scenes to... Even less content, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I guess with that, next time, uh, we will be backtracking a little bit to discuss the Pyre of Denethor and uh, our man on fire. And we'll also <laughs> see more of what's going on with Frodo and Sam in the Tower of Kirith Ungol. Um, and we should be joined by Nick, who last joined us for the Rings of Power bonus episode. So that'll be cool. Um, and also want to give a little announcement. If you haven't picked up on it already, like we've referenced it a few times, but Anna is having a baby. Um, and this will be her last episode for a while while she figures out being a new, My new wife. <laughs> and also like house of the dragon and rings of power. Like how will she fit it all in? I don't know. Um, I'm sure she'll, will she know. sleep? Yeah. <laughs> Baby, Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rings of power. I know. <laughs> yeah, these are the priorities of a nerdy mom. And fill your fill your two a.m. feeding two a.m. feedings. You just got you know. Oh yeah. Rings of power on in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know we'll figure out when we can get her back on the podcast. No pressure, Elena. Um, for now. Our girl is going to get some space and some time off from podcasting while she figures this, you know, this whole new world of, like, being a mom. So, um, I'm glad that this was your last one, though, because it's a, because it's a great one. Because it, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. Like, the movie does a great job. The book does a great job. It's just, like, good vibes all around. Um, so... Truly the only girl power, real girl power yes. moment that we see in yeah. the trilogy. Yeah. Literally the one. So, yeah. And hopefully there will be more in the future. Yes. 100%. 100%. So, thank you so much, Amber, for joining us. We look forward to when we can yeah, talk of more. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. Absolutely. We're looking forward to Eowyn and Faramir talk next time. <laughs> Um. Ugh. <laughs> in my head rent free <laughs> now i'm gonna be thinking about it <laughs> i know well you will they're so freaking cute okay well you're always welcome anna i mean who knows when this baby's actually gonna pop out but probably soon uh <laughs> <laughs> so which is crazy i still haven't fully wrapped my head around it i don't know about you <laughs> Not really. Yeah, it'll it'll just happen. Uh, we don't happen. really have a choice anymore. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. So, um, thank you both, ladies. Love you so much, and we will see you all next time. Thanks.